0: Hello and welcome to Procrasturbation Station. Procrasturbation as in procrastinating and that other thing that we all do. If you can put it together, then you're my people, and if you can't, perhaps click that next button. No shade. I'm your host, Hannah, and I'm here to talk about self-sabotage in a way that invites all parts of us to come along for the journey. I'm here to lay out the setbacks and superpowers of self-sabotage in order to manage our limitations. Throughout the show, we'll discuss designing a life that works in your favor through sustainable creative practices. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoyed today's topic. With this episode, we will be talking about trauma. I won't be going deep into my trauma or any gruesome stories, but I want to let you know so that you can make a choice with where your headspace is at before you listen to this. I want to discuss trauma in a general sense, and more specifically, our lingering feelings and sensitivities that tend to hang around after trauma. Another foremention, I'm not a psychiatrist or an expert by any means, all of everything I've shared with this episode has been from my own beliefs, opinions, experiences, and obviously some research. Now that the preface is over, let's get into it. You make me feel mighty real. Cue that one song by Sylvester. Have you or someone else in your life ever been confronted about your actions and were told something along the lines of, you haven't texted me all day and you're making me feel depressed? I wanna talk about this concept of making me feel. Today's topic will be guided by the subtopics of fault and responsibility, cycles, and release. Thanks so much for being here and I hope you enjoy this topic. And now to discuss fault and responsibility. No one makes us feel our feelings even when they're doing something terrible to us. You might hear me say that and think, um, that's a bold statement. If someone hits me with their car, that's absolutely and fully their fault, and they made me hurt, and they should pay, and if that's what you're thinking, you'd be completely correct. We're not exactly talking about who's at fault for your feelings, but we are discussing who is responsible for them. First, we make the distinction between someone who causes you a physical injury versus someone who hurts you emotionally, both of which can damage our perception of the world and leave lasting scars. In the analogy of someone getting hit by a car, their injury is 1,000% the fault of the person who caused the accident. However, when that person is healing their physical wounds and going through the motions of rest and physio, they may bubble up with frustration. They'll start to think a statement that's an infamous power thief. Why me? Why me turns into disappointment that they can't do the same things they used to or frustration that they have to heal in the first place or helplessness or to be a burden by having additional needs. All of these icky things that arise in an instance of injury are 100% normal, natural, and to be expected. However, the trouble's when people get stuck there. When something hurts us, the initial injury is a direct result of the incident. However, any feeling that comes up afterwards, that's all you and me, baby. When we're responsible for our feelings, even when we're not at fault. This allows us our own power with honoring and processing our feelings and gives us control in releasing our feelings. Because when someone else owns the control to provide us closure or release, you're subject to healing on someone else's schedule. When we're talking about emotional wounds, which ultimately are the peskier of the two because a physical injury can be seen, assessed, and treated in very clear ways. I want to go on a tangent right now about the ways emotional injuries can manifest into physical pain, which ultimately can't be assessed and treated in clear ways. This can be chronic inflammation or autoimmune disorders, but I won't go there today. First we have to clarify what an emotional wound is. Emotional and psychological wounds are hidden behind a smile you paste on when you engage with others, and the only people who can tell are those who have walked through life with you in a long-term relationship that's deeper than surface level. Sometimes emotional wounds can be buried so deep that at one point in time, you made an agreement with yourself that this experience was too painful or confusing and we don't want to visit there ever again. So we'll lock this memory away in a box and hide it in a dusty closet corner of my mind. This is called dissociating. And you can actually eventually forget your wound even exists, but regardless of your cognizance or lack thereof, unprocessed emotional wounds can tint your life in unexpected and unpleasant ways, if not dealt with. There's a difference between experiencing something that's emotionally turbulent, and for a period of time afterwards, you have to take your time to heal. Even if you take longer than you'd like to feel your feelings before you move on, you have trust with your body to bounce back to its center when you've gone through the motions. This is how people should experience emotional turbulence, but in some cases you may experience something negative and it creates a lasting impact on your life. I'd like to pause and mention if you're experiencing something terrible and you're still healing, even if it's years and years and years later, you're allowed to take your sweet time and follow your own schedule. If you're in the trenches right now, just know that's totally okay. Just know that I see you, I love you, and you'll settle into your version of normalcy eventually. I promise. If you've gone through all the motions of healing, like you've gone to therapy, you've done meditation, you journal, you do all of the things, but you still struggle to trust people or to feel fulfilled by life or to feel whole ownership of your power, that's the scar of an emotional wound. This also is not lingering in your why me, but rather learning to work with your scars to settle into a new version of normal, to redefine what's normal. There are times, and honestly I believe in most cases, we can have emotional wounds that we are entirely unaware of their origin or even that they're there because they're buried so deep. Sometimes it's because it happened way before you were cognizant of memory or other times it's just because it was too painful, you locked it away when you were young enough and you're just able to have selective amnesia around that particular experience. And it's very, very interesting Because I assume most people go through their lives never really uncovering these types of emotions or these types of experiences or memories, but there are also many cases where people hit this wall in their life where then all of a sudden these boxes open, life unpacks, and you're like, holy cow, it's like a life flashing before your eyes moment in TV, and it's scary. I actually, this happened to me where I was hit with memories that I buried so deep, and this is not something I'm going into, but... It happened to me when I was around 22, and for me, it was a huge shift in the way that I see my healing, the way I see my relationships, the way that I see all of the actions that I've taken throughout my life up until that point. And since then, I've been working on building more bridges and working on my healing and on learning and on just continuing this momentum towards feeling whole. It's just become such an interesting topic for me because I know that there are other people who have experienced this and I know that there's people who experience this well into their 50s or 60s or it, it could happen whenever and I feel like this movie moment where life flashes before your eyes is usually before death where you realize oh my god all of these things that I never wanted to recognize while I felt there was too much at stake and now that there's nothing to lose I'm faced with all of it Oh, and it's heavy. And something that really inspires this podcast to this day is finding ways to define the gray area and to build bridges. One side isn't good, one side isn't bad. We have the middle where things are symbiotic and we have all of the dimensions to consider in order to describe things that otherwise people don't really talk about because I don't feel people necessarily have the words to talk about them. The gray area of things. And we bury these things. They could be an economic or cultural belief system. They can be passed down through generations. They can be fueled by society. Regardless of the origin of your wounds, you are entirely and completely not at fault, but you are responsible. It's kind of like when you have your sister and her kids over for dinner, the kids play and explore and make a huge mess. And it's not your fault that someone came in and messed your jam up, but it is your responsibility to bring it back to balance. When others hurt our feelings, it hurts, obviously, and then we eventually heal. But when we have an emotional wound, it's not necessarily the action done against us by someone else that hurts us long term. It's actually usually our expectations that are hurt. I expected that if I went for a walk today, I would not be hurt. I expected that if I dated that person, they'd treat me with the same level of generosity with their hearts as I do. When these scars from broken expectations are eventually addressed in order to be healed, it creates a veil of mistrust in your life. This type of pain can lead us to create agreements with ourselves about the way the world works, which leads me perfectly into our next topic of cycles. When broken expectations lead to mistrust, you can experience a continuum loop where you find yourself getting hurt in the same types of relationships in the same types of ways. If I can't trust my boundaries, why bother setting them? If I can't trust my safety, why be cautious? If I can't... A side note for the listeners to be crystal clear, even when you're stuck in a cycle, your wounds are not your fault. You can set boundaries and have people honor them. Your recklessness is not a reflection of your ability to make rational decisions. It's a level of safety in your nervous system. When we move through life, we develop cycles and seasons. It's a fact of life that there will always be peaks and valleys. You may experience your cycles by saying to yourself, I've seen this before and this too shall pass, but what happens if what you've seen before in your life isn't something you want to see again? You have to become aware of your cycles and develop a relationship with yourself to catch it and gently redirect it. It involves brainwashing yourself to believe whatever is behind me is behind me because it didn't serve me and whatever serves me will come back to me in abundance. So that means even if you lose a lot of money, you know that there's lots of money coming your way. Even if you've lost a partner who you thought was perfect, someone even more perfect is coming your way. When you're working on changing the trajectory of your life, you're going to want to aim your roller coaster towards the stars. You're not going to wish to never have a hard day again, but instead wish to have the resources and strength to bounce back from anything life throws your way. This could also help you to avoid self-sabotaging yourself deeper into the rabbit hole. When you wish for no bad days, you're building an expectation for yourself to never have bad days. So when a bad day happens, it hurts twice because not only did you have a bad day, you were also wrong. Gasp! Instead of wishing for no more bad days, you're going to want to wish that the bad days are less bad than the previous day. There's a gruesome statistic out there that I don't have the heart to Google specifically, but I know that a majority of victims get re-victimized just as a majority of convicts are reconvicted. These are cycles on extreme sides of the scale. I want to be firm in my original statement, you are absolutely not to blame for the experiences that led you to where you are today. And regardless of who's at fault for your feelings, you are the one responsible for them. This means if someone's experienced extreme trauma, they may continue the same story until they understand how to break their cycle. Unfortunately, people can walk through their entire lives stuck in their cycles, and this can take generations to understand and heal. On a side note about generational cycles, I actually have an interview coming out soon about this topic with a cool chick and new friend, so I won't go too deep in on it, and I'll keep this episode focused on internal and individual narratives. Carry on to the episode. Your emotional wounds can lead back to core wounds from your primary development. If you were a kid who had to perform backflips in order to get attention, you may have developed a very theatrical personality, and you may feel extreme sensitivity around being ignored. If you were always taking care of others as a child, you may have felt responsible to anticipate and mediate the feelings of adults in your life. You may have also developed a deep level of compassion and empathy for others in your adulthood, and you may feel a deep sense of rejection and hurt when you don't feel needed. You may have had a childhood that was always emotionally turbulent, which left you constantly walking on eggshells around others. And in your adulthood, you've developed a personality that's vigilant and cautious with your words in order to offer protection and guidance. You may also feel a deep sense of dread in the event that you make a mistake or find out you've accidentally hurt someone in your life. When you're setting out to break your cycles, this can include learning to set and honor healthy boundaries by crafting I feel statements. Boundaries are a skill. There are boundaries that are red-hot, no-touch zones, and that's totally valid. And then there are softer, not-today boundaries. Yet some people seem to feel their icky feelings bubble up and push the pedal on the floor in their red-hot, no-touch zones. Has someone ever made a risky joke to you when the moon was in a phase, or Mercury was in the microwave, or Venus was sopping places with Mars, or you were hungry, or on your period, and a joke that you'd normally retaliate with an equally risky joke is suddenly... Gets you in your feelings. How do you set a boundary for something like that? I won't ask my partner to guess my mood before making a joke, but then, how do we avoid hurt feelings from risky jokes in the future? I like risky jokes, and if my partner typically has tact, perhaps we can let the trigger ride the wave without judgement and move on to different funnies. The only boundary set is around that moment in time rather than a permanent addendum to all future interactions. When someone triggers you, it can be easy to get caught up in icky feelings and want to place responsibility on the person whose fault it is for triggering you. But what happens when they didn't know you to be triggered? Is it worth opening a whole can of worms with your person to tell them never do that thing again? Or is it more productive to have an open conversation about why you're feeling triggered or possibly just acknowledge it by saying, I'm feeling triggered and activated by the joke you just told. My mind knows it was a joke, but my body doesn't seem to get it. Can we sit quietly for a bit or change the subject? You can also explain, I'm normally open to your jokes, but today it's striking my nerve. This allows your partner the opportunity to learn more about what triggers you, and more importantly, what you need in order to calm the storm. On a side note, I've had partners in the past whose first go-to when I'm feeling activated is, what do I need to do? and i know this statement comes from a place of love and their sole intention is to alleviate the trigger but in my perspective asking me what i need instead allows me ownership over my trigger and the actions taken whereas what do i do leaves the ownership on the other person to mediate my feelings boundaries create bridges for communication in your relationships and opportunities to learn and understand each other Rather than a Jonah Hill model of boundaries, don't do this, you can't do that, and you're responsible for all my feelings of insecurity, and you have to do this, and I want you to do this, and if you don't, I'm disappointed. And if I'm disappointed, that's your fault. Learning about boundaries could also look like learning what healthy love looks like, with teamwork, support, open communication of the whole truth, and also understanding that periods apart, periods of boredom, and not having any control over what your partner does, says, wears, eats or engages with, is completely healthy. And now to move on to our final topic of the day, how do we release? This has been a heavy one, guys, so hopefully with this final topic, we can let that all go. Starting with, I'm so triggered, a sonnet on its own. Being triggered is a whisper or a shout from an emotional scar. Time can quiet them, but time won't make them go away. Your triggers can be healed sometimes fully and sometimes they can't be completely, but I like to believe that all can at least be quieted. And if you have experience with big and loud triggers, with practice and patience, your whispers will feel like a walk in the park. Healing your triggers comes from learning to sit with your discomfort, to understand it, to honor it, to nurture it, to step into gratitude, and to eventually release. I believe forgiveness is a personal choice. Honestly, I'll tell you, forgiveness lives in your heart and it has only good intentions for you to feel lighter. It can look like forgiving yourself for giving your heart to the wrong person or forgiving them for breaking it. Don't knock forgiveness, but I didn't include it in as a key ingredient for release because it's not absolutely necessary for healing. If anything, forgiveness comes after the release of all of the other things like nurturing yourself, stepping into gratitude, sitting with your discomfort, learning to understand it, honoring it. After your release, you can step into forgiveness if that's right for you, but it doesn't have to be right for you. Sometimes people do terrible things and they don't deserve forgiveness. However, not forgiving can sometimes buoy you down exponentially throughout life and you won't even necessarily know all of the consequences to carry burdens with you. The reason I say forgiveness is not included in the recipe for healing your triggers is because your triggers are there from a past version of yourself that's angry about what happened and they want to protect you from ever feeling the way that you felt again. And you don't need to forgive your triggers because they are not at fault for your pain and they're not really doing anything wrong. They're taking responsibility for your safety. They serve a much-needed purpose to protect you, and when you're ready to break free from their protection, you can release them by finding a place of gratitude. Believe me, when I say step into gratitude, I don't mean you need to be grateful for a time in your life where you thought the world wanted to extinguish you. God, I'm so happy to see you're not there anymore. What I do mean is to find at least one singular grateful perspective. You can be grateful for that kind of warmth, empathy, and compassion that you show others in times of need that only comes from lived experience. Or you can be grateful for your calm, cool, collected demeanor during times of crisis. Or you can be grateful that although times were tough once, they didn't get the upper hand on you, which gives you the opportunity for reinvention, to pave a new path, to navigate the new timeline you are in now. Releasing your triggers means getting to a point in your life where you recognize that these things helped me at one point, but they no longer serve my highest good. And you can learn about new coping mechanisms that serve the same purpose that your trigger served, be it setting boundaries, taking space, spending time reflecting, any of these things. And they can be so uncomfortable. They really, really can. But once you get going and you're in it, you can start to see how they help you release all of the lasting discomfort. Now, if you've worked through your triggers, you've sat through your discomfort, you've gotten to a place of gratitude, but you still find yourself with these sticky, icky feelings with no discernible cause, how do we release tension within the body? This is a huge question for me because sometimes it feels like when I dredge up feelings in order to honor and release them, I get stuck on the release and those feelings tend to linger, but I like to have a practice for release. So we're going to work through this question on how to do it together. When I say releasing tension in the body, I'm talking about those pent-up feelings you accumulate throughout the month. I'm also talking about that random ache and pain that you always seem to get in your shoulders or in your quads or wherever it is that you tend to hold your stress. When you have chronic feelings, they migrate throughout the body and settle into your muscles. This can lead to chronic tension in any part of the body, constant butterflies in your gut, or in my case, migraines, even when you don't seem to have a specific trigger. When you're hurt without experiencing a recent physical or emotional injury, the result is unmanaged emotional stress. To give you a bit of context on the migraine front, I had my first diagnosed migraine at 18 months old, but that's how old I was when I could first tell the doctors, my head hurts. So I believe that I've had them a lot sooner. The doctors have never been able to find any trigger, food trigger, medication that helped nothing. I've had no results. And as a kid, that used to frustrate the crap out of me because I was always in a ton of pain and I always wanted to know what was wrong. And my mom would always say getting a negative result on a medical test is always an ace. Don't wish for something to be wrong. However, it still left me with these gray area feelings of, but how do I get better if I don't know what's wrong? And throughout my life, I've developed theories on why I get them myself. It could be diet, it could be hormones, it could be stress, probably a combination. And something else that comes to mind is when I was born, I had a traumatic birth experience. The doctors told my parents I was not gonna make it on at least two occasions, and I was in Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto for at least two weeks of my life. I was not allowed physical touch by anybody for those first two weeks until my parents lost their lids on the doctors, and when I eventually was allowed to be held by my mom, I started to get better. Duh, I feel like we all know this. It was the 90s, I'm sure they knew it then, but whatever. So when it comes to my migraines, it makes me think about this birth experience on all the things that went wrong and could have gone worse, but what I'm left with now is these lasting physical manifestations of an extremely emotionally turbulent and stressful time for a newborn to come into this world in that way. And this birth experience also leads me to think about how sometimes I don't do very well with physical touch, and it's, I don't know, it is what it is. But I wonder sometimes if the way that I was brought into this world, not having physical touch by anybody but a rubber glove, has instilled within me this relationship with physical touch that has been present since literally birth. So our feelings hold on to things, and it's nobody's fault the way I was born, and it was not my fault, and it's like, it's just one of those things that happens, and I'm still left with the responsibility to take care of my physical health. That being said, we're all responsible for our physical health, but... I'm extra responsible to make sure that I look into preventative measures, especially because the doctors have not been able to find me release from these migraines. When you're hurt without experiencing a recent physical or emotional injury, it's the result of unmanaged emotional stress. A fitness routine can help move these migratory feelings, be it working on your physical fitness or your mental fitness. So that means moving your body and working your mind. I have an episode coming out in the future on how to meditate. We'll go even deeper into fitness and grounding with that episode, but for now, I'll tell you my process for release. For my physical fitness, I like to do yoga two to four times a week to focus on rest, release, and relaxation. You can YouTube it, and I'll add a great video I've used for a couple years in my description. However, I like to do it in a very intuitive way, even with the YouTube instruction videos, there's so many great ones. I like to play with it and also adjust things that feels right to me and also add more movements or add extras of steps that I really enjoyed and just because it's an instruction video doesn't mean you have to follow it to the letter. Eventually you get to a point where your body remembers most of the videos you've watched and you can create your own routine that feels good to you and that can be a really fun process as well. As for mental release, every full moon, plus or minus three days, I like to do a ritual to process my thoughts and feelings. I like to do this to facilitate release from micro and macro triggers that are pent up inside me and to provide maintenance and prevention for future triggers. I light a candle and put it in my windowsill with the window open to call in fresh perspectives and allow the energy to circulate within the room. I grab my journal and pens and tissues if it's been a long month and I get it all out. On a side note, I said grab tissues, but I'm not much of a crier. I more deal with the boiling, bumbling rage in my gut. So, grab your tissues if need be, but if you're a rage machine like me, you may instead want to take breaks throughout your release session so you don't get too wound up while you're trying to wind down. In a journal, scrap paper, a napkin, I'll write any and every ugly and nasty thought I have, everything that's happened, everything that makes me frustrated, everything that didn't go my way. Sometimes things don't want to come out, or I don't feel things need to be released this month, and that's okay, I try anyway. Sometimes when I start, the floodgates open, and sometimes they just don't, and when they don't, that just means now wasn't the right time to release. Once you get every little thing out, and I mean everything, like the cashier that didn't say you too when you said have a nice day, or when you were trying to do too much at once and you stubbed your toe, causing you to slow down even more, that X that won't leave your line, all of it, and more importantly than just what happened, how it made you feel. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm triggered. All of it. Then when you get it all out, it's time to release it. After listing all of the terrible things, every nasty thought, try switching gears to think about every positive thing that you can be grateful for. What else happened? How many dogs did you meet? How many times did somebody say, I hope you have a great day? How many times did people say, I love that top that you're wearing? How many times did you kill it when you set out to do something and you just did it, there was no hesitation, and you didn't have to work yourself up for it for like three days? How many times did something go exactly your way? You don't want to be attached to this letter of pain, which is why the first thing you do is let out all of your frustrations, and then the second thing you do is end off with gratitude and all of the positive things. And then, after all of it's said and done, you want it to fly out the window and take any leftover emotional charge with it. What I do is crumple, rip, or burn my letter to symbolize letting them go. Bonus points if you burn it with your window candle, but please remember to practice fire safety at all times. Take it outside. This doesn't always work to fully release all of it instantly, but I love a good symbolic moment. The most important thing after all of this is done is rest and drink water. Water will help your body detoxify all of the migrated emotions within your muscles, and rest will help you nurture and sit with anything lingering but I hope that ending off on a positive note and ripping it up after you're finished allows you to leave the space that you're in with gratitude and at least a place of balance. It's about time to wrap up today's episode, and I hope you find my ritual for release helpful. We went deep today, guys, and I'm stoked about it. I'm interested to see how it goes, and also, thank you for being here with me. This was actually deeper than I expected it to be, and... I hope throughout this episode you found some perspective and perhaps some freedom from the feeling you have to be defined by what triggers you. I hope after this episode that you feel safer taking ownership of your feelings and to whichever god up above you believe in or the powers of nature of god isn't your thing. I hope and pray you never ever find yourself in sticky icky situations again and if you do find yourself stuck in the trenches that with every bad day the next one gets a little bit less bad. And if you're one of the ones still stuck in it, baby, I'm on your team, and I can't wait to see you fully step into your power. You're powerful, you're loved, and you deserve to be cherished and adored. With all of my love, I thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in next time. Cheers for now. Thank you so much for being here with me, and if you enjoyed today's topic, now is a great moment to subscribe. If you have any feedback about today's topic, please reach out to my social channels. I help creative entrepreneurs market their creations in a way that feels authentic. I have a self-study marketing program that covers basic and advanced marketing concepts with 9 modules and activity sheets. I also sell content creation templates to help you manage your social media with unlimited content creation ideas and i also offer one-on-one marketing consulting services check out my socials and my website to learn more if you're interested in working with me please reach out via email so that's social media if you're reaching out for my podcast and email if you're reaching out for business all relevant contact links are in the description and thanks again for listening cheers for now that was pretty good